Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am Jess Geyer. I'm one half of one of the games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm also a teacher. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games. I make tabletop role-playing games, and I was once a child. As long as we're sharing things about ourselves that might have something to do with what we're going to talk about today. And our guest is here. Hi, Chow. Hi, I'm Chow or Christopher Chalice, and I make weird RPGs. I've done stuff for Pendlehaven, got a few of my own things going. And I was once a zoo camp count uh zoo camp camp counselor. Okay, hold on. They have zoo camps. <laughs> yes, and uh it was in Orno, Ontario, and it was one of those small zoos. It was called Jungle Cat World. <laughs> and awesome. Awesome. Kind of- Kind of like the Tiger King. Yeah, I was going to say like the Tiger King. <laughs> and, and actually, this is kind of interesting because it had to do with kids. So I really like telling stories. I said, I'll be the storyteller uh, for the camp. And they're like, okay, whatever. And then I gave them an example story. I said, no, 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 that'd be too long. And I ignored them, told my long stories, and the kids loved it. Um, <laughs> See, that that just shows like what kids actually like, what adults think they're going to like are often two entirely different things. Um, why are we Why are we talking about kids? This is not a podcast about children. It is today, Jess. <laughs> That's kind true. Of, sort of, in part. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So we, we all have experience with children in one way or another, and we're talking today about, okay, if you have a bunch of kids in front, how are you going to GM for all these children? <laughs> what what is going on what are what are all these children doing here at my table and what do they need from me why are you here chris you selected this topic for us today what's your uh in- what's your reasoning behind this what's your interest here uh well i designed vanaguard with kids in mind and a lot like doing that zoo camp storytelling it's kind of what got me into more writing and actually being kind of like I was GMing stuff beforehand, but it got me more interested in the less dungeon crawly aspects and the more mythological aspects of things. And um, that basically fascination has led me to think a lot about how to run games for kids, how to write games for kids, um, and essentially like put something out there which is fun, uh, instructive, but also doesn't talk down to children. I like that. Well, one thing I noticed in zoo camp is, and this annoyed me, there was one person who used to talk to the kids like, hi, everyone. Oh. How are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, how old are these kids? Uh, anywhere from like, you know, nine to like 16. So so the kids weren't four and this person wasn't a cartoon character. Correct. So or a Muppet. Where I, I, I just I just talk to them like a normal person, minus the the amount of swears I normally do. And <laughs> sure. um, it worked out pretty well. And then I thought, okay, like when designing a kid's game or running a kid's game, like just don't talk down to them. And you can like I also thought of like themes I could have in the stories I told, and I made a line for myself. Nothing that exceeded like Batman, the animated series. But that gave me a lot of leeway. So I could have darker themes. I could have um, it, like I could have like exciting themes. I could have sad themes. And opening that up in my storytelling really helped. And then when we're like running games, it's the same type of thing. I use the same palette 
of genres and emotions that I would use for adults, but just kind of tailored down just a little. Uh, so like, I don't get into any like super adult material. I I am glad that you brought up like the emotions of children because the reason why kids don't like to be talked down to like after like really like at the age of three and four if you call them like a baby they get pissed at you like they don't like that because they they are believe it or not little tiny humans that have their own personalities Mm -hmm. that have their own thoughts that have their own emotions and they feel a lot of emotions I would wager to bet that a child, anyone under the age of, let's say, 20, has a lot <laughs> more connection to their emotion in a very good way, I think. A lot more mm. connection to their emotion than people who are older because a lot of the experiences and emotions that they're feeling are more new to them. More, It's more mm. acceptable for them to feel those emotions and express those emotions. And that makes for a really, like... If you've ever hung out with a kid, it makes up for a really dynamic time. Like their highs are super Mm. high and their lows are pretty dang low. Um, And being able to help them explore that in a tabletop game, I think is super healthy. First Mm. of all, it's always healthy to get to practice feeling your emotions, which is part of the reason why I love role-playing games. And also like you can play with that a lot and not just like you said not just the happy ones because mm-hmm. kids feel anger and sadness too and it's good for them to explore those emotions well definitely and i think like especially with jamming with kids in a basic way like showing them the result like make sure what they do do matters and show the results of that so like say for example i'm running vanaguard and they end up like humiliating a troll what happens afterwards well the troll is very upset And later they meet the trolls, like, you know, family. And they're like, why did you do this? And they're like, oh, there's consequences for what we did. And I think that's really, like, helpful just to keep in mind sort of, like, how the story can shift and shape depending on what they do. Like, I do that with adults, too. But I think it's really important not, I don't think you should remove that when you run a kid's game. Just do it in a kind of respectful way. Yeah, like showing the instead of like the very nuanced kind of way that you might play with a with a group of adults. And I was making a joke when I said under the mm. age of 20. Um I, I'm I'm a high school teacher, so all Fair. of my all of my my quote unquote children are, you know, they're young adults basically. They are if this were 200 years ago, they would be already at work and being adults, mm. you know. Uh, but like I think it's (laughs) like we can explore more nuances maybe with adults but yeah consequences are still there and again very healthy for them to explore that I was I was going to say that like the the corollary to all of that is and the way you said it Chris was um to be respectful about it and you know you don't have to be perfect and prissy about everything, but like putting it in terms of like when you're dealing when you're dealing with younger children, you know, they're impressionable and they're they're figuring things out about themselves, about the world, about what's acceptable and what's not. And even in a pretend world of of a game, like if you if you're giving them permission to do certain things and you're saying, okay, it's okay for your character to do this and we mm-hmm. can play pretend and kind of draw the line between like, okay, you don't do, you know, like yeah, get angry and and insult somebody, but your character can go be angry and insult the troll and, and kind of keeping all of that in mind, because, you know, the, the, the younger children in particular, but you know, they will, they'll look to you as the GM to decide like, okay, well, like this is a new thing. 
and what's permissible and what's not and what and like what's okay what can i do what can i what should i probably not do um and just try to keep that all in mind and and, and adjacent to that then too is like jess was making the comment about how they're having different emotions and things and things are new like this mm-hmm. keeping in mind too that this could be you know almost certainly like at some point if you're if you jam for children often enough you'll be jamming for children for where this is their first game yeah and keeping in mind what that means for them because there will be some children who might find this kind of anxiety inducing and and they'll get nervous about it and you you know you have to kind of slip into the mode of like encouraging but not pushing um and trying to get them involved and 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 help them to kind of find their way in it and then you will find the kids who like totally get it they're on board it's just like pretend we're just doing it at a table with dice and they'll go off the rails and they'll be all over the place and you you know and but it but in a new way but in a way that they haven't you know haven't had framed before um so like when when a kid's out on the playground they can go and play and do what they want you know within reasons of what their parents allow is <laughs> yeah within like you know don't push people around and you know whatever the rules are right whereas in the game there's you know ostensibly less rules because it's a fictitious world where characters can do all sorts of different things. So, you, you know, you, you know, being aware, being aware of that and, and where if there is a boundary that needs to be set for the, for the kid, who's just mm-hmm. going to go. So it can be a balancing act because you could literally have a table of like four kids and every one of them could, could, could be playing for the first time. And they could be having four very, very different experiences mm-hmm. um, emotionally and, and, um, activity wise, like the, 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 the amount of act, the amount of engagement that they're putting forward. I think that's true for adults too, though. I, that's true for everybody at a table. I just think that like for a kid, especially like the attention span of a child is just naturally going to be less than an mm. adult. So if they are bored, like some signs that you can notice if a child is bored, they might not express it in the same way than it, than an adult does. They might start acting out. They mm. they might literally just get up and walk away from the table. Like, don't like if if you're new to to engaging with children, and I'm talking about any age range here too, because my teenagers will do this too. <laughs> they will they will express things in ways that make it seem like you are the pro. Like it will be annoying to you, and you have to realize mm. that this is an expression of oh, they need a break. Something's not engaging to them. Cause my, my child now is, is starting to like pop the heads off of all the minis. Oh, Let, let's, let's stop. Like there might be stuff like that, that will happen that you might not see mm-hmm. adults do because c- adults can manage their boredom a little bit better. So like, I think, I think like Craig was saying, like there will be different levels of engagement for sure. That's not a, that's not a new problem, but the way that you will see them not be engaged will be less mature. I think it's also, again, I do this for all my kids, so I think it might be good for children, especially, is like in, say, for example, when things in an action scene uh, in a game, you have initiative, so everyone gets a turn. Maybe keep that idea even outside of those, that type of stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. keep track, okay, who's done something in this scene? And if someone hasn't, go, is there something you want to do? Or uh, for a shy kid, maybe, again, just carefully give them something because they they may not know what to like suggest I don't know what to do go okay I know this I know this guy doesn't know what to say so I'm going to say well this person comes up to you and says I need your help 
uh, will you help them? And then, you know, kind of giving them like more narrowed down choices. Yeah, that's a great tip. I, I notice this a lot. Like, again, my experience with teaching is mostly high school, although I did teach middle school and I have, I have associated with children of all ages. <laughs> it's such a strange <laughs> thing to say. My, my many, my many child associates. Um, my name is, <laughs> my name is Sherlock Holmes and here are all of my street urchins. Um, no, uh, the like giving them some limitations is really, really helpful to open up their creativity. Like mm-hmm. if you say, okay, let's make some art. Here's the whole art room. Well, you're going to have some kids that are going to do, they're going to make something really cool. You're going to have some kids that are going to make a big mess and you're going to have some kids who have no idea what they're doing and they're going to stop. And that's not going to be fun for them. But if you say, we're going to make pictures of your dad's face using macaroni and glue. <laughs> now you got it. Now, yeah. now they will open up. Yeah, I love that. Giving them like, will you do this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Do you want to do this? Or do you want to do this? Or, and then you can start slowly opening the door to more and more options for them. And I really liked uh, Chal's comment about like taking the the idea of turns outside of combat and even using, using the term, using the phrase, it's your turn. Yeah. What That's would you like to do? Brilliant. It's your turn. Do you want, you know, here's some, here's some choices mm-hmm. um, because even the newest role play uh, role player, the newest kid in role playing has probably dealt with everybody takes their turn yeah um at some point so like that's that's just something to translate from their own you know the re- the rest of their life into the role playing everybody gets a turn <laughs> i'm thinking of like literally the stages where children are learning things so <laughs> like in preschool so we're talking like ages 4 and 5 they are starting to learn things like sharing and taking turns but keep in mind that not every 4 and 5 year old has especially nowadays in the times of COVID-19 has been to a school or a daycare or a preschool or anything like that. So if you're playing with like little, little kids, I, I personally wouldn't, I personally wouldn't do it unless I was like a parent of one of the children or like their aunt or something. Mm. But then like kindergarten, they, they're like, they're, they should nail down sharing, sitting, taking turns while talking, not, not shouting stuff out. They're getting that first grade. Um, kindergarten, first grade, they're starting to learn how to read. So like actually reading might pose a problem at a table until Mm. like sometimes even like second grade, um, hopefully they're not being passed along and illiterate at the same time, but it happens. So be prepared to like do a little bit more of that, not necessarily academic legwork, but some of the, the literary legwork for them dumbing down, not dumbing down. That's a bad way to say it. Mm. Mm. Bringing your vocabulary, simplifying, streamlining streamlining your your vocabulary and and things like that. So if I say, oh, he has a he has a broadsword and and a scabbard, they might not know what that is. Whereas, you know, there you might need to explain and describe things a little bit more like you would in a story. Mm -hmm. And and Chal, it sounds like you have a a lot of experience doing that. (laughs) Well, uh, that to be fair with me, I'm very, very animated when I GM. So I go. Rather than say he has a broadsword, a scabbard, I go, <laughs> and they kind of like see visually what I'm doing. That's great. The visuals are great for kids. I always think when you get to vocabulary and stuff too, you can you can get like every every geeky D and D player 
right, know is that they learn there are certain words they learned from reading D and D books, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and you or you learn from gaming. So I mean, you can sneak some of that stuff in there too to make it kind of fun that they like they learn this new weird word that they now can go home and tell their mom and dad like I learned this word. Um, and you can you can so you can use the the word like a scabber, but then you know ask them, say, does anybody know what a scavenger is? Give somebody a chance to say, hey, I know. And they get to have that moment of like, hey, I, and they can explain it to everybody. And if they don't, then you teach it what it is. Teach it or explain, but without being patronizing. That's and just idea. like, let them walk away with like, now they know what a scabbard is, or they know what um, a buckler is. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that idea. I know like when I was a when I was a kid and a teenager, I learned the word obfuscate from vampire. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was always one of those kids who learned a bunch of words from the fantasy books and then tried to say them out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sometimes different sounding. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate this here because it's one of my favorite pieces of internet advice is if you hear somebody mispronounce a word, don't make fun of them. It's probably mm-hmm. because they learned it by reading. And yeah. that's a good thing <laughs> because <laughs> how many people thought brazier was mm-hmm. pronounced differently when Ooh. they learned it? In a book. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All know. of those flaming brassiers. <laughs> yeah. I think I may have, as a kid, mentioned them as brassiers rather than braziers. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. I, I, I'm i sure that I did too. Um, but I also knew what a brassier was. So. <laughs> but, you know, homonyms, uh, homophones exist. Yeah, so. they, they exist. Like, yeah, there's all sorts. Of, those are some of the fun words. <laughs> uh, what are what are some like skills and strengths and benefits of jamming for children that you just don't get when you're jamming with older people? This is something you'll do when you're likely will will likely do. Depends on the group that you're playing that you're jamming for. But one thing to keep in mind as um, as a GM for kids. And this is just out of my own limited experience and from stories that I've heard is you might improvise a lot more mm. because older players are going to more are more likely to have an understanding of like the social contract of what the game is and what you do in the game and kind of where the stories are going to go. Whereas like you read the stories online all the time of somebody talking about, I was running D and D from, for, for, for my, for my kids and their friends. And I had, you know, the wolves attacked and instead of fighting the wolves, they like made friends with the wolves. And now they have this wolf army that goes with them wherever they go. And yeah. the wolves do stuff for them. And they're all, you know, That's they're so all buddies. Fun. And, and they spent an entire day making sure that the wolves were all fed and watered and had a nice place to sleep. And like, that's, that's what kids are going to go a completely different route than like the, you know, a typical group would be like, Oh no, the wolves are attacking. We have to stop this and get on with the story. Whereas, you know, that group of kids turned it into like the wolf party. <laughs> the wolf party. That's cool. That's I so like, cool. uh, I like the exuberance like kids share, like, you know, when something cool happens in a game, adults would be like, it, they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But like you'll have like kids jumping up and down, like yes. There's a there's a different feel of a bunch of kids celebrating a twenty on the mm-hmm. di- on the D twenty than there is a group of adults celebrating the the, the twenty on the D twenty. Yeah, They're I I love that. Lot, maybe, potentially, yeah, like you said, more animated. Like if it's the first time it happened in the in the in the game, it could be like you know, like you could get blown off your chair. <laughs> by how excited mm. kids can get about something. I've also noticed there's a conspiratorial type of thing you can get with kids when you're playing. Like, okay, here's what their true trolls doing. 
what are we going to do? And then they say this, oh, that might work. Like, rather than kind of you being separate from the players, it's almost like you're like, mm. yeah, that's a good idea. Try that. And then you see what happens. Yeah. The more, more like GM with player collaboration, you are not, you are not trying to withhold information for them because if they're younger, they're not going to be able to deal with that kind mm. of obfuscation as much as, as much as an adult would, or like, again, like, or even an, an older teen would like when I'm, when I'm thinking of kids, I think of like under 12s. Yeah. Uh, and like, they, they need a little bit more help and they like secrets don't work really well. Um, withholding important information to hope that they will just get it isn't going to work as well. And that includes like with mechanics too, you might have to be like, Hey, don't forget your character hat can do this ability. Mm, yeah. And you might not even, I mean, you can play D and D or, or mm. really you can play any complicated game with a kid, but not every kid's going to be able to do that. Cause you know, they're progressing at different levels. That's why children's games tend to be simple rules. One or two things. You might mm. want to pick a system that is, that is good for that. Um, good for their particular level, maybe a system that was designed with kids in mind <laughs> in the first place, but you can, you can play something like D&D with them, you'll just probably have to remind them of what they can do more often. And also mm -hmm. maybe let them do things that they can't actually do more often. Yeah. Are the rules going to matter as much? They're going to, they're going to want to do their own thing. They're going to want to, you know, make, make friends, friends with, with the wolves. You're going to want to do that. And it's well, great. I love that about kids. I love how creative and, and excitable they are. It, that's the thing too. Like when I did, uh, when I designed Vanaguard, part of the, what I did is everything you can try, like the, like the six skills, they all work the same. So they're all viable in, uh, handling conflict. So if you face a troll, you could fight them, but you could also bake them a cake. You could try just to be their friend. You could trick them. All of them are viable options as opposed to, okay, well, it's not, you really can't convince the troll with cake. Yep. Yeah. I did that exact thing with uh, good strong hands. Mm -hmm. Every cake every trait every every trait check. Well, there's a cake making skill in good strong hands, mm -hmm. um, but every yeah every trait check is equally um, viable um, to solve to solve a problem. I also like that name, good strong hands. <laughs> it's a great name for a book. I I think it's cool too because that again I I love role playing as a teaching tool, a tool to explore your feelings, a tool to learn problem solving. And these are things like when you were a GM for children, you are so much more of a teacher mm -hmm. um, than you are for an adult. Because um, as an adult, like we're more on the same level. My experiences are roughly, you know, like the same kind of experiences that you have and are having. But for a child, they're they're really learning some of these things that we take for granted, like your critical thinking skills, your problem solving. Um, that you're sharing just like your general social skills. So when I have jammed for children um, before, I think the youngest one I ever jammed for was like nine, nine mm -hmm. or 10. Like you are providing them like with this really valuable teaching experience. And again, that's, I'm a teacher. I love that. That's why I keep teaching despite how difficult it is, is because <laughs> you see it happen in front of you at the table, a learning moment. And this light bulb, this excitement, these emotions, oh, children are great. <laughs> it's also kind of neat seeing them GM. 
Yeah. Like when, when they get old enough and they run a game and then you see some of the tricks you used with them and they're using it and you're like, ah, they got that for me. Yay. It's like having <laughs> your own kids without any of the having your own children. <laughs> but I, I, I feel the same way when my kids use phrase, my, when I say my kids, I don't have children. I'm not planning on having children. My kids are my students. When I see my kids and hear my kids use phrases that I use, I'm like, oh, that's going to be there forever. I've made an indelible impression on them. That's going to be an inside joke with friends of theirs in 20 years. Yeah. I know, like, when I was older and there was this younger, like, I was still a kid, but I was, like, GMing for a younger kid. And then eventually he GMed for me. And for him... I pulled some tricky stuff. Like he was like, oh, like he was really surprised because I I trick him, I fool him, but in a good way. And later I noticed when he GM for me, he was using like his own little craftiness. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's really good. I, I knew that it's cool that you would think of that. Uh, this is clever little. <laughs> this is why we I it's so important for like more more positive adults um role models for kids instead of just this idea that oh you are you're being raised by one family and that's it like because mm. they then they have this avenue for all these other experiences which is also why again i think play games with kids take mm. your take your kids to conventions you know i bet actually after this see if there are groups where they're running games for kids i'm i may want to jam some that'd be fun there are some i know someone who is like like does one weekly with with kids like specifically children um there is a a big desire for that especially you know um a lot of role players have children of their own they want to get all these kids together they want to they want to have their kids uh have these same experiences they did all of that and there definitely exists one in your area every every, every so often i Every so often I see popping up in social media, somebody talking about their kids being in the club or them running a club or knowing of a club where there's like a, a gaming club at school for, for, for younger children. And it's like with the express intent of using it, using the game to like, well, we'll have fun and we'll socialize and, and the kids will enjoy that. But we'll also kind of teach some of these things that Jess was talking about, like talking about teamwork and, 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 uh, and critical thinking, like, you know, at a certain age, you can, you know, have a game where like, okay, they're going to have to puzzle some stuff out in this mm -hmm. game. And rather than putting it all on one, per one kid to figure it all out, we'll put them in a group and let them talk about it. And they can spend the time that way where they don't feel one kid who who isn't sure doesn't suddenly feel like they've failed or that they're not getting it. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, well, we all figured it out together. So yay us. Um, so yeah, they're, they're floating around out there. So Indeed. what can we, what can we do as designers to make more games that are targeted toward this great audience? There are more children than there are people my age now. So what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing for them? I think, yeah, uh, I like the, as mentioned before, I, I can't stress enough the whole mechanics where multiple skills are just as valid to resolve conflict. I think it's tricky because I think you got to decide whether or not you want to sell to the, the adults or the kids. And I think if you're like um, trying to sell to the kids, you shouldn't put the word kids in the game. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be seen like kids i have their own personhood they don't want to be talked down to that's the first thing you said yeah so i'm thinking like 
I think in like making like a setting, like I would recommend like as a designer, making a, a solid mechanic that is used throughout the game um, that's easy to grasp, but also fun to play with. And then also having an interesting sort of backdrop with like colorful characters and a background that's flexible enough for them to sort of play with. Like there's a uh, one game I got for kids called Little Wizards. Uh, it's kind of neat because it's on Coin World, which is top half is like this light area of like fields and stuff, but it's literally a flat world. And on the other side, it's sort of like a goth spooky world. That's cool. And and I thought that's kind of neat. But I, I think you could also do stuff with say the Avatar game that probably would draw them in because it's a world they recognize and stuff they want to play in. Mm -hmm. Or if you do a superhero game, have characters that they would recognize that they could like, you know, like, oh my God, I got to talk to Spider-Man. Like stuff like that. That just kind of off the top of my head. Like with Vanaguard, it was, for me, it was like a, it was a balance between fun mechanics where you match things. Like you'd match your runes and your cards and stuff in an interesting way. And then also a background that's really interesting, that's kind of fast and loose, and you can kind of play with things. And something that like gives them a lot of room to play and add their own personal twists to, because that's what kids will want to do is they yeah. want to create too. Like an open, like an open source magic system, where rather than you have a bunch of spells that work in a specific way, go, okay, you have strawberry magic. So how does that strawberry magic work? Or you have fire magic. What do you do with your fire magic? Yeah. And making that as like streamlined as possible, as simple as possible, I think is paramount because mm -hmm. if, if there is a rule where like, there are so many rules, I have my Pathfinder book right here that I would have to go, oh, I'm going to use this. Does it actually work in this scenario? Let me go read this paragraph. Yeah. Nah, that's not going to work for a kid's game. That's putting a lot of work on assuming that there is an adult GM in the room. What if these kids want to play by themselves at a slumber party? Like, come on, let's, let's, let's see what we can do to make it a little easier on them. Obviously a bunch of six-year-olds probably aren't going to be able to run a game by themselves or will not want to, but maybe an 11 year old, 12 year old, 10 year old would. They can read pretty well, but not like super well. 10 year old is like fourth grade. So yeah. And I think with the mechanic too, as long as it's it's interesting and also it's it's universal, but it also gives them a chance to go, ah, I get it. I know how this works now. Yeah. And like that aha moment and then they can run with it on their own. I think it can be handy too, to make sure to include, you know, because as an example, there are plenty of games where like almost anything you do, you have to make some sort of check. So there's a, like a, there's a system mastery or work that you have to put in to make sure that you have the numbers where you want them to be able to make sure that you're going to mostly be successful with this broad, this, this band of things. And then you'll be kind of successful with these. And then there'll be these things that you don't do ter terribly well. Um, and that relies a lot on the dice. And it, I think perhaps handier for the younger, the, the younger the children are, perhaps the better it is to have like, okay, some things that you do, you roll some dice, maybe you, you, you succeed, maybe you fail, but then there's some things in the game where my character can do this and they can just do it. And it's yeah. always cool. And so they always know they have that thing to fall back on that. They're never going to get robbed of that thing. They're never going to have that fail for them. So, you know, that that's built into um, a number of uh, games for, and I said, you said, like you said, Chell, 
avoiding the word kids, I tried to use the term younger players yeah. when I wrote the sidebar and talked about that for, uh, for good, strong hands where, uh, you know, uh, the, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, what is it? Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm an adjective. I'm an adjective noun who verbs, um, in the cypher games and in, in particular in, um, no, thank you evil where, you know, I'm a fair, I'm a fairy princess who rides dragons. Okay. So you always get to have a dragon. You always get to ride a dragon. You always get to do cool, cool dragon stuff. That's always part of your character. You're never going to have to be like, Oh, I didn't, my dragon didn't do the thing. Uh, I also love that name. No, thank you. Evil. That's such a good name. <laughs> no, thank you. Evil. I love it. It is very, every time I see that in the gen con book, I'm like, man, I wish I was 12. <laughs> that right now also for like you have mechanics being simple too and straightforward having the things that they could always latch on and do helps the players make those decisions in the moment but you also maybe want to think about how can you reward these players for trying things out and doing really cool Hmm. things on their own because I think the goal is for every game for kids is not only to just entertain them, but two to make them into adult gamers. And, and part of that is like this, this like, Oh man, I can do this cool stuff. And it, I feel cool when I do it. Um, so making sure that there's something in place to reward the players when they, when they do succeed, um, like whether like don't don't shy away from the growth that a character yeah. can go through just because it's a kid kids game. Like give them more stuff that they can continue to do and be cooler at. They oh, gain cool. They gain cool items. They get better at something. Yeah. They gain a new ability. Yeah, and yeah, keeping it simple, just like that. But yeah, it's not as fun. Like for like, oh, I gained the plus one on my charisma. Ooh. No, I I gained. Yeah, oh, I found a dragon egg. Oh, I learned. But I suddenly, I suddenly have wings. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. I, I think it's also cool to have um, a mechanic in there, like uh, Greg was talking about, where you always can do something, but also have like almost like a trump card in the mechanics, where it's like you can use this trump card to do something amazingly awesome, but once you do it, you can't do it again for a while. So when are you going to use it? And that gives them the chance where they're like, I really want to do this, no matter what the dice will say. Bam. Um, and that's a great, that's a great table discussion that you'll see some, some groups of kids will have where one person be like, they're like, well, how are we going to do this? I don't know. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And the one person says, well, I've got this magic ability that will just solve all our problems, but I can't do it again for the whole yeah. game. Do I do it? And then all the kids, you know, the other kids will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, hyped and, you know, you get the emotion behind it and everything. Cause I've seen that in a number of, of in, in games, it happens usually usually in, in games that I've designed, it happens by accident when there's like, like like the rules facilitate and foster that sort of table stuff. But I think, you know, when you're when you're thinking about a game for kids, like having it kit it gets the other kids involved in the decision. It's it's helps them to like avoid the boredom. You know, like it got me. Yeah, maybe I don't have something to do right now, but I can I can be right, I can get really excited about what you're about to do, and we're all gonna win because of that. That can be very nice. And I think also allowing the failure, but not letting the failure to humiliate the person failing. And sometimes even like narrating failure as a success, but something random happens that makes them mess up. Like, you know, you're at a archery tournament and you're about to win. So you draw back your bow and rather than say, oh, you missed terribly. You're about to draw back your bow, you fire 
and that wind imp you made annoyed blows your arrow away so you don't win and you're like turn that into win <laughs> yeah I, I definitely don't shy away from allowing failures in the game because kids need to experience that too and they will quickly catch on that you were just letting them win the entire yeah. time it's going to take away the sweetness of victory i but i do like like it's not a humiliation for them they like yeah maybe they did even mess up but it's not something they can't recover from i think always making sure that there is hope that continues on um right is important because you provide an an explanation for it right like there there's there's something that really it really takes the wind out of your sails if the okay i make the roll and i fail and the gm says okay you miss and moving on yeah yeah like there's nothing that sucks for me and i'm 31 (laughs) (laughs) it's like i don't want that either I, I, but definitely like, don't just make it so like, oh yeah, they win every time. No, no, no. Yeah. That, that's, that's talking down to the child. You don't and also you need, you need to generate that excitement where they're like, might we be able to do this? Oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. And you need that tension there. It's like an, it's an interesting balance um, to kind of like put that into the game. And then if they fail at something, or even if they say lose the adventure, that just leads off to a more interesting adventure later. And also opens up more opportunity for teamwork because the probability that you'll get a kid that will want to do everything is, I think, a little mm. higher than with adults. And you don't want one that that has been like one of the the bigger hurdles to deal with when when I've run games for children is that, oh, I'm going to keep going. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. So making sure you have a strong turn-taking mechanic in the game. Maybe when they do fail, it opens up the opportunity at that moment. Now someone else gets to try or someone gets to help. More Focusing more, I think, on the cooperative aspect as a team versus the individuals Mm -hmm. can be really helpful um, when when writing games for, for younger children. Again, I'm thinking like less than 12. This is something I actually had a discussion with um, with another designer, with Aloy LaSanta, actually, years ago. And it's something that I kind of kept in mind, too, when I've done games that, um, like, felt friendship and feelings is geared specifically toward being um, friendly toward younger players. It, it's built around a, a core mechanic of it is sharing your dice um, and the, the game mechanics. When it comes down to game mechanics, the question becomes like, and just was talking about like different developmental levels and what they're learning in school and what they can, what they're proficient with and what they're, 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 you know, able to do easily able to do with some, with some work or just not ready for yet, you know, rolling dice and being able to identify how many dice hit this number or better. That's, that's basically counting. That's mm-hmm. like they all they need to know is counting, like what number is higher than a, what what number. Um, but then, OK, is there addition? Do they add an abstract number that's on their character sheet somewhere or do they add dice together? Once you start adding too many numbers, it starts to, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, yeah. older children better for that. If you if there's subtractions, if there's penalties that cause subtractions. That's the next step up, because like a lot of kids yeah. learn to add before they learn to subtract mm-hmm. um, or or just are, you know, they can they can count the pips on the dice easier than they can process the. The subtraction in their head. If you're curious as a game designer and you're trying to put like an age range on the complexity of your math, I would really recommend going to the common core state standards for math, find the grade levels and see what are the can do statements. Mm-hmm. So like for third grade, um, I think at, by the end of third grade, they are able to multiply 
simple numbers. I think that's third grade. They should have already mastered addition subtraction by then. So you can actually read through like at this age level, what should they, what are they learning, learning in school? Now, is that ideal? Yeah, I mean, it's the ideal. Is that always true? Maybe not. Maybe not. That, there's some but issues. But there's every every kid's different, but you have to target yeah. somewhere. You yeah. Have to kind of but figure you, out where you you're going to go. You can figure out the age range just yeah. by looking at like what are what are schools expecting them to have known. And that also includes reading. Like you can go through and look at the reading standards. And in the Common Core State Standards as well, there are also um, like some standards like are they able to like listen and then give thoughtful ideas? Like you can read some of those statements and it, it kind of helps you figure out the developmental level if you don't have children of your own or you don't have a background in pedagogy. Cause like, who knows? Like children are like, they're so far away. We were all kids once, but we don't remember everything that we were doing at certain ages. Um, yeah. Not all of us can, can just figure that out, but there are, there are things out there. Um, and also looking at um, other educational type of materials, like what kinds of games do fourth grade teachers play with their students and going from there? Because these are people who deal with that age group all the time. You can find all sorts of resources in that just to kind of determine the difficulty level that you want for the actual math and text of the game. And something I want to throw, we don't have to dive into it too deeply, but there was something that somebody brought up a while ago. And this was something I thought about years ago. I designed a, a card game specifically for my niece mm. and I made the card game and she owns the only, she and I own the only copies of the game. And it's about mermaids throwing a party underwater and having all their friends over. Love <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I like that. And when I, she was very young when I was doing it. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do this thing where you'll, there'll be choices and there will be meaningful choices, but there'll, a lot of what's going to happen in the game is going to be determined randomly. Like there's, there's not a lot of, you know, there's, there's only so much choice that goes into it. Sometimes there's just, the cards are going to come up a certain way and it's going to kind of push the game in a certain direction. Um, and that's the nature of a card game. Like when, you know, the cards come up in a certain order and you got to kind of deal with that. And so like whatever your mechanics are and whatever you're dealing with in there, there's, it's okay for there to be, especially the younger the kids are that you're working with, that you're that you're designing for, it's okay to have more of things that are random and just kind of mm. determinist based on dice rolls and less less about choice. Because, and I I know like I struggled with it until somebody kind of described it and said they, they put it to me this way: in Candyland, once the deck is shuffled, the winner has been determined. If you got the order of the players and the card and the deck has been shuffled, the winner is already determined. Doesn't make a difference what you what what you do. And you just flip the cards in will, order, will and somebody gets to the end. But right, but the important point is that game gets you to the next game where there is a little more choice, and the and the character and the, and that game gets you to the next game where there's even more choice. And so, like having a game that the characters, the players don't make as many choices you can have a game that's like very suited for much younger children they only have a few choices that they have to worry about making and then it's otherwise just imagination mm -hmm. <laughs> um because that they don't you don't you know like then the game for the 12 year olds like okay now we've got a character sheet with like a whole bunch of stuff on it and there's a lot more decisions and we have to worry about am i going to use that or i'm going to use that i can only use that two times and blah 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 so because the the simpler thing gets the kids eventually to the more complex thing and you don't have to shy away from the simpler thing for the younger kids. I've talked about this too before with scaffolding, because you can mm -hmm. build in scaffolds to get to the target there. 
So, I mean, keep in mind that your like children might all be at different levels. What, what are you going to do to, to help with that? Cause you might, you might start with a simple game and then add complexity on as you go um, to get up to yeah. the, to the ideal game that you actually designed. Feels like almost like basic advanced expert. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's yeah. It, it sure. sounds like it sounds like a fun design challenge to specifically design a game that can be played. Okay, we've got a six-year-old, a twelve-year-old, and a and a sixteen-year-old all at the same table, and they can all play a character characters with different complexities that are all equally useful mm-hmm. and can mm-hmm. do the same amount of of cool you know can do the cool stuff. And the, like the the younger character, the younger player with the simpler character isn't going to be so limited that they eventually just kind of run out of cool stuff or yeah. whatever. Like, like a true uh, family game at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, oh, that was a comment too. Like when you're talking about not you know, being careful, you would, do we want to call them kids in the text? And my, my, one of the things, the first thing I wrote down when I was outlining I, things to talk about here was, you know, is this a, do you think about it just in your head? Is this a kid's game or is this a family game? Because those are kind of different sets too like if it's going to be a kid's game you're going to kind of kind of think that okay all the players are going to make their own choices and you're going to as gm or the gm whoever that is is going to guide but then there's also family games where the assumption is that like an older sibling or an older friend or a a parent or whoever might be helping someone uh, one of the kids with with a play play the play the game a little bit so there can be a little bit more complexity a little bit more going on because that other person can kind of help um and that becomes like and then you, like jess is talking about you could literally have a game where like, super simple <laughs> character okay. type and a more, much more complex character type can all coexist and and you don't get screwed <laughs> out of anything if you're pl- just because you're playing the simple character simpler character a family game where one character is the sentient mech and the other is a pilot Ooh. Actually, that's like the episode from Dexter's Lab, uh, where where they're all <laughs> they're all mechs. They form a Voltron. <laughs> I love that episode so much. I can still hear the Go Dexter Family Go song in my head. The Go Dexter Family. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, I uh, also think that uh, a, a mechanic to play with would be how do you add to the rules the idea that these kids are going to start improving and adding things to the story can you give them avenues where they have a time when it is acceptable to do this mm. so like wh- when I can find- they add something to it and that way again you're kind of you're not you're not leaving this entire open sandbox for them you're giving them the correct time where you can add the weird goofy yeah the troll is there and then and then the troll's mom shows up, says the mm. child, and then yeah, over there. I think uh, the apocalypse world sort of prompts are a good way to do that. Like when you build that in, just go okay. At this particular case, you can ask these questions to the players, and then that allows them to kind of put their feedback in there in a very structured way. I think my like my last my last tip is like a very practical one for the actual text of your game. Shoot it through a Fleisch Kincaid um, readability thing mm. and see what what grade level it's at. Because um, if you're <laughs> if you're writing a collegiate level for a kids game, yeah, you, you need to simplify your language, just like you would simplify your language when you're jamming. I will I will not give my ten year old GURPS vehicles. <laughs> don't don't use the word interpolate. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, even are you words ready like, to do the square root? Even words like correspond are yeah, like hard for a, a younger child. So um, just looking at what your words are and then maybe mm. maybe when you're playtesting the game, also give the text to make sure you're playtesting with with children and, and see how they feel about it. Um, your playtesting questions might be a little different than your playtesting for adults, but that's a whole nother conversation, I think. If they ask what every third word means, then maybe uh, rewrite. Or if they have a blank look on their face and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and be careful not to oversimplify to the point of like yeah like if 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 you use the word when you when you want to talk about a character moving quickly if you use the word fast all the time that's the only word you ever use that's going to start to read like oh this is like you know see spot run like run spot run we're just using the same yeah. words over and over like the kids like i learned that at first grade i know what this is this is like simple sentences i can do more than that um you know you can use a broader vocabulary just don't go too far we'll with it, it but but you can vary within mm -hmm. the within yeah. the reading level that you're, that you're shooting for. Even the mechanics, if you go too simple, then it won't really feel like a game. It'll be like, okay, where's the game part? Well, we were flipping coins. We're just flipping a coin. Yeah, but I want oh. to do more than that. <laughs> I, would, I would go so far as like, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is even the simplest game if you put together like a little you know here's a little zine book game that's like you know 10 pages long that's meant for kids that game absolutely has to be play tested by kids yeah. of the appropriate age like i can i can write a game for the three of us to play and never play test it and have it be a very simple game and be relatively certain that it's going to function fine just based on my experience with designing and playing games yeah. but with with the kids and you're shooting for a target that you're not sure of that target that you're you know sure you're hitting it absolutely needs to be read by and played by those those kids of that age absolutely just Makes because sense. you used to be a kid does not mean you understand children and does not mean you can figure out what a kid will understand it is very very different and there's a reason why you have to go to college to be a third grade teacher there's a reason <laughs> <laughs> and even if you have a ridiculously good memory and you remember many 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 days of what you were like when you were in first grade and what you did and what you learned and what you knew first graders now are smarter than you were as yeah. a first grader yeah. okay ender the iq the iq this i just listened to a podcast recently when they talked about the iq the iq the 100 IQ, the supposed average, regardless of what you think about IQ tests and blah, blah, blah. But the idea of average intelligence, average critical thinking skills, all of that stuff goes, the, the bar goes up. It's constantly going up. Like we, I, as a 50 year old, am smarter than my dad was at when he was 50, who was, who was smarter than my grandpa was when he was 50, who was smarter than my great grandpa when he was 50. And all but your great, great grandpa, wicked smart. <laughs> wicked smart. Um, also a Bostonian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there might've been certain things that you knew, like there might be certain things that I knew about, like I knew how to use, use a, you know, uh, a card catalog <laughs> when I was mm. 12 years old that a 12 year old now probably wouldn't because technology has changed, but I didn't know how to use a computer the way a 12 year old does now, even they though I did they use don't know computers. How to use, they don't know how to use computers that well, um, actually. Oh, the things, yeah, the things but, that we know how to do at, on like an actual computer is different. They're much savvier with applications, though. 
on phones yeah. and tablets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, when we were growing everything up, everything changes. Yeah, it's it, true. it was when basically DOS was a thing and your only operating system. So we had to know the file structure of everything. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have to teach um, high schoolers often like, okay, control V is paste. Or you can right click. This is how you right click. It happens sometimes. Well, um, you've got yeah. you've got you've got high schoolers learning that. I didn't learn Control V until no. I was in college. So no, there is fair. a disparity. That's fair. No, <laughs> the technology that we take for granted yeah. is very different. Uh, just because of our, uh, these children were growing up with technology, the technology they grew up with is different than the technology that I did, and it's different than the technology right. you did. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not just technology; it's what they're exposed to as yes. well. Just because of the internet and being able to have access to information, like yeah. kids now know more about topics that you just didn't know about yeah. as a kid. It's true. I am not like saying all of this to like be like, oh, those Gen Zers don't know anything. Those millennials don't know how to dial a phone on the little <laughs> rotating button thing that I don't remember the name of. <laughs> the uh, rotating button? Yeah. <laughs> I had I had to learn how to do that because my local roller skating rink had one of those instead of a keypad. Um, but that's the only reason I why I know. <laughs> with those, I feel old. And they took forever. <laughs> But they were kind of neat though, because they're like, yeah. But when all the numbers were like seven and higher, oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just wanted to talk to my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I now had to dial set, you know, uh, ten numbers because it was an area code change. Now you don't even know your girlfriend's number. You just need to go no. to your contacts list and hit call. Yeah, I don't know anybody's phone number. I know my phone Me neither. Number. That's it. I know I my childhood know phone number. <laughs> Me too. I. I only know my phone number and my dad's and my sister's because we've all had the same phone number since I was in seventh grade. There you hmm. go. When you had to know them. Yeah. <laughs> Way off topic now. Oh, I'm glad that yeah, we had a chance okay. to talk about role-playing with children. <laughs> and that, that was like a positive conversation the entire time. Because I think that there's a lot of like, I mean, I'll call it what it is. There's a lot of ageism towards younger yeah. kids and players. and I, I think that children deserve just as much of the same kinds of fun experiences as us. And they deserve to be treated like, you know, individuals, mm-hmm. little human beings, yeah. not so, little kids so, or, Chris, or babies. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you, you brought this topic to us. Cause I would never have chosen this one for myself and I work with children. No, I, I like it. It's something I've thought about a lot. Um, and it just, again, shadowed by my experiences at Zoo Camp, Jungle Cat World. And it's it's important to me. So I want to be sure, that, like, when I was a kid, I was like, writing for kids? Doing games for kids? That's baby <laughs> stuff. And now that I'm older, I'm like, you know, it's kind of cool. I, I like it. I've gained wisdom. Well, where can we find you and your things on the internet and beyond? Best place to do so? I I really need to come up with like an actual uh, name, but you can find me at chow at uh, the chow at itch.io. That's T-H-E-C-H-A-L-L dot itch.io. And there you can find my games such as Near Hollow Gods or Baboros. And I think I did for World of Wildevere, which is very kid-friendly, Crow Shadow. So what if we wanted to find Vanaguard? Vanaguard you can find at Pendlehaven Press. So basically look up Fate of the Norns and you'll find it. Uh, it also, if you go to any convention with Fate, with Pendlehaven, you will find a copy of Vanaguard there. I highly recommend it. 
Uh, I'm really proud of that game. It, running it feels like running a fairy tale. <laughs> that's. I think that's exactly what you want for a game like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be I here. Did, I did not say thank you, I don't think, before that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jaska. You can find my games at wannabegames.com or also under h.io under the same name and drive through RPG. Um, I don't, I, we push back for the release, the digital release of the means of magic, because I was, I'm, I'm trying to get through the rest of the layout and I want it to look mm. nice and I'm being a perfectionist about it. Uh, and I don't want to push out something <laughs> that I'm not proud of. So that's coming soon instead of the end of September. We're just going to build the anticipation. Yeah. It's, It'll be it's that fine. much more exciting. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stress myself out while I'm also working full time and also like just do a mediocre job at both things that I do. I can't do that to myself or to the people who are, who have purchased this game already. So. And uh, you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Um, the Kickstarter for Code Warriors is ongoing right now. Go check that out. Um, if you're looking to buy any of the games, um, all the PDFs, pretty much all of my PDFs are available as add-ons along with the Kickstarter too. So check that, um, including the any nominated for best family game, um, <laughs> strong hands. So that's in there. Yeah, go check it out. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, which was released under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Take care, folks.